Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, this morning, please, back to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning will be in verses 8 to 12, looking at the subject matter, not ashamed. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Father, we thank you so much for these words that you inspired through your Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus said in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. So, Lord, we would ask you to send your Spirit and teach us your Word that you have written here. Give us understanding, but more than understanding, God, we pray that you would bring about transformation in our lives. We thank you for your call upon our lives. And, Lord, we know that we live in a very dark and lost culture. And we're, we're called upon to live out our Christian faith in this culture. And we know that's going to demand courage. And sometimes we're tempted to shrink back in fear. Sometimes we're tempted to be ashamed. Lord, help us not to be ashamed. Help us not to shrink back but may we carry on in your work in your strength and for your glory we pray in Jesus name amen the Christian classic entitled Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan is a fascinating allegory which has given strength and inspiration to millions of Christians down through the decades John Bunyan wrote about the trials of the Christian life in a very colorful manner. In the beginning of the book, there's an example of courage and perseverance. Christian is on his way to the city gates of that place that we all long for. He's looking for grace to relieve the burden, the burden of sin that is upon his back. Now, as he is progressing along in his journey, obstinate and pliable come running up alongside of Christian. And they try to discourage Christian. They try to knock him off track. Obstinate is just downright belligerent. He hurls insults at Christian. And pliable, well, just like his name implies, he's pliable. He just sort of goes with the flow, whatever direction the wind is blowing. 
Pretty soon being undecided, pliable goes along with Christian just until the going gets tough and then pliable drops by the wayside. Happily, Christian continues along and he moves forward with courage and determination. Now folks, there's a great deal that believers today can learn through that book written by John Bunyan. There's a great deal that we can learn from the main character in that book, Christian. Because we know that all of us today, we likewise need courage and determination. And as we turn to this section of 2 Timothy, that's exactly what we see Paul admonishing Timothy in regards to. Because Timothy needed courage. Timothy needed determination. We saw last week that even though Timothy had this rich family heritage, apparently there were times in Timothy's life that he was a bit cowardly, a bit timid. And he needed to rise to the occasion. He needed strength and determination. And that's what Paul is writing to him about here. We see here that the Christian life is to be a life of sacrifice and service built upon the confidence that you and I have in the power of God. Now last week as we began the chapter, we saw that all of those verses were tied together by the key word remembrance. Walter Liefeld says these verses we turn to today are tied together by the key words of shame and suffering. The first thing I want you to see with me this morning is that the fact that the life of a Christian calls for courage. Read with me again verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Folks, you and I are to be bold in our testimony about Jesus. Every time you tell somebody about Christ, you are proclaiming, you are affirming the gospel message. And don't be ashamed of that message. Don't be ashamed of the cross of Christ. Remember in Romans 1.16, Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. He was eager to get ready to go to those who were at wrong to preach the gospel to them because he said the gospel or in the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ because that is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. If you've been saved and Christ has changed your life, don't be ashamed to tell other people about it. If somebody asks what's different about you, tell them. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus Christ suffered there on the cross for you. Don't be ashamed either to hang out with other Christians. Notice what Paul says here about that. He says not only not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but he says, nor of me his prisoner. Timothy needed courage to identify with Paul. 
Because remember where Paul is as he writes 2 Timothy. Paul is in prison. He's in a Roman dungeon. And you know, if you were Timothy and you were associated with the Apostle Paul, you might be thinking in your mind, if there are too many people that see me hanging out with Paul, then they might lump me right in there with him. And before I know it, I might be in a prison cell right alongside of him. So Timothy might have been a little bit leery of associating too much with Paul at this time in his life. But Paul says here, don't be ashamed either of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner. You know, I'm reminded of a young man who once ran up to George Washington. He told General Washington that he had a great admiration for what Washington was fighting for. He just continued to pour on the praise to Washington. He just lavished praise and encouragement on him. And finally, General George Washington stopped him and he asked, Young man, what regiment do you serve in? And the young man said, Oh, sir, I don't serve in a regiment. I just wanted you to know that I'm with you. I support you. And Washington said, young man, if you're really with me and you support me and identify with me, then what I need you to do is I need you to turn in your civilian clothes and put on a uniform and fight with me. Join with me in your share of the conflict. That's what Paul is admonishing Timothy to do here. You see, folks, we've got people today who say that they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the mission of the church. They believe in the ministry of the church. They might even heap praise on the different ministries of the church. But the trouble is they don't have a uniform on. They want a great church where they sense the power of God working, but they don't want to pray for their church. And yet the power of God only comes through prayer. They want a church where people walk the aisle every week and make professions of faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not willing to get out there and share the gospel with anybody. They want a church that will take care of the children and train up children in the Lord, but they're not going to work with them. They might talk about young people and the challenge of young people today and how the church needs to do more, but they're not willing to do more. They want a dynamic choir, but they're not willing to join the choir and be faithful to practice or do anything about it. They won't serve, they want these things, but they won't put on a uniform. And we know that's a problem all across Christianity today. Well, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, trade in your civilian clothes and put on a uniform for the gospel of Jesus Christ it's time I wonder if the Lord might be saying that to somebody here this morning it's time that you do more than just simply identify with Christ it's time that you do more than just simply identify with the church it's time you put on a uniform and join in suffering for the sake of the gospel look again at verse 8 what what Paul highlights here Uh, underscore those words where he says Timothy join with me in suffering in other words he's wanting Timothy to make a costly sacrifice do you remember that occasion at the close of 2nd Samuel 
as 2 Samuel closes out, as the book closes out in chapter 24, King David sins against the Lord because he numbers Israel and Judah. And God was displeased with that. And so God went through the went through his people and and he brought a plague and 70,000 of them died and David went before the Lord and he said Lord please don't punish this people for my sin please take your hand off of them what can I do and the Lord told David what to do He, he told him a particular Jebusite that he wanted David to go and visit on his threshing floor and he told David what he was to sacrifice and David got there and spoke to that Jebusite who came out and kneeled before him as the king and paid homage to him and said oh king what can I do for you and King David told him he wanted that threshing floor and he wanted to make a sacrifice and that Jebusite said here just take it I'll give it to you and you remember David's response David said no I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing That which costs me nothing. Too many are wanting to offer that which costs them nothing. And Paul is calling Timothy to rise above that and to make a costly sacrifice. I want to ask you this morning, what is your faith costing you today? Is your faith costing you anything? Will you be a fellow sufferer? Now folks, we're not in danger at least yet of arrest, but sometimes people who are Christians are made fun of. You might might see a Christian at school being made fun of. Join with that believer and say, Hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ too. Take your stand with that believer. Maybe at work there's a Christian who's going through opposition because of his or her Christian faith. Stand with that person. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I need you to stand with me. Don't be ashamed to let people know that you believe in Jesus and you identify with God's people. Listen, he's saying here not to be ashamed of Jesus, not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now, I don't want to get too far away from what Paul is saying here, his actual thoughts, but I do want to bring it into modern day times a little bit. Think of a modern day example or a few examples where Christians need courage over the testimony of the Lord and what the Lord has said. Think about our culture today and what's going on. Think recently what our culture says about marriage. There's an area where Christians need more courage to speak out. Amen? God didn't create Steve for Adam. He created Eve for Adam. He created them male and female. And the Bible says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife in the building of a home. That's what marriage is all about. I think it's time that evangelical Christians today speak out a little bit more courageously about marriage. Marriage is God intent. 
And now right on the heels of what the culture is trying to do with marriage, look at what they're trying to do with gender, to erase gender. I read this week, whether the story is true or not, I assume it is, in the Charlotte school system this year, they're going to quit referring to gender, male and female, boy and girl. Everybody's going to be called simply either a student or a scholar, and they're going to be using a, a purple unicorn to try to erase all semblances of, of gender and do away with gender altogether and yet the Bible says when God created us in his image he created us male and female folks can the church today not even can Christians today not even stand up and say it's boy and girl it's male and female I want you to think about what's going on in our culture decades ago they started attacking uh, God's creation of man, the personhood of man being made in the image of God and instead saying we're just a coincidence. And now after attacking the very creation of man, the nature uh, of mankind made in the image of God, now they've moved along to begin attacking, attacking marriage. And then after marriage there's gender, gender. And so everything we see about mankind in Scripture, the culture today is trying to erase that. Folks, it's time that Christians have a little more courage. That we have a little more courage over some of these things that are going on. Paul steps it up a notch in terms of courage. He says here in verse 8 that we are to accept our share of the affliction. The preaching of the gospel oftentimes brought suffering to those who were engaged in it. Sometimes it brought imprisonment. Sometimes it even brought death. Remember in Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa takes John, uh, James, the brother of John, and he kills him. And when Agrippa saw that it Please the Jews. He was going to lay his hands on Simon Peter and do the same to Simon that he had just done to James and yet God protected Simon Peter. So the preaching of the gospel can sometimes bring great opposition, maybe even death. Folks, we live in such a consumer-oriented culture. If we're not careful, we can bring some of those same expectations into the church and we can even start asking, what's in it for me? Well, the Bible says what's in it for you one day is heaven and a crown. But folks, before you get there and get that crown, you've got a cross to bear first. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Philip's translation says, accept your share of the suffering. The idea is that all of us have a certain allotment, a certain amount of suffering to go through for the sake of the gospel. Paul, in writing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, talks about his life is filling up that cup of sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all got a little share. There's a little share for you. Don't forget about that. Some Christians all over the world are going through unspeakable struggles, unspeakable trials and tribulations. 
Think of what believers in the Middle East are going through. Some of them are having their heads chopped off. I saw reports recently that ISIS is saying now they're going to step up their efforts in the Middle East of coming out against Christians and churches and, and trying to do more unspeakable things against Christians and churches. Just think of what our brothers and sisters around the globe who name the name of Jesus Christ are facing. Think about what some of them are suffering. Folks, who are we to think it's not supposed to cost us anything? And sometimes when we do think of the cost of our faith, we think of it in such trivial terms. I don't like the decorum in my Sunday school classroom or the preacher went a little bit long. By the way, the preacher's always going to go a little bit long. But we just, we just, people around the globe, I mean, look at what some of our fellow believers around the globe are, are suffering for. And yet, so oftentimes in the West, in the American church, we can complain about little trivial things that don't mean a hill of beans. Paul's not writing this passage out of some ivory tower. He's down in the trenches serving. In fact, he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. In chapter 4, he's going to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from... From the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Well, now he's calling on Timothy and other Christians just like you and me today to have a little more courage in our Christian life. Be willing to go through a little more inconvenience and hardship in our life. Paul lived in a culture, if you took a stand for Christ, it could cost you your life. Nero was the emperor. And, and, and of course, tradition taught, uh, history and tradition talks about Nero. It's believed, anyway, that Nero is the one who burned down all the slums in the city of Rome because he wanted to come in behind that burning and, and, and have a beautification, pro a big project to rebuild Rome. Well, when news got out that it was Nero behind the, the great burning of Rome he needed a scapegoat and so he found Christians to be his scapegoat he blamed them and so he started feeding them to the lions and putting them in the arenas for, for wild beasts to tear to shreds began putting Christians in prison began uh, beheading them like tradition says he did with the apostle Paul he would dip believers in a tar like material and tie them up on poles Nero had beautiful gardens and he would use Christians as his torches burning at night. That's the kind of culture that first century, that, 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 that was the cradle for first century Christianity. Very difficult culture at times. Folks, what in the world would Paul say? What in the world would Paul say to the American church today that tends to whine over the least little thing? And by the way, I thank you so much 
that you don't do that whining. Now, if you do, I don't hear about it. If you do, I hope that's the way it stays, that I won't hear about it. But I don't hear that you do, and I thank you for that. But a lot of places all over whine about stuff. Folks, it has always cost believers to live by faith. It's not unusual. Peter, writing in the New Testament about Noah, that whole time Noah was building the ark, Peter says that, that Noah was being ridiculed the whole time until the flood came. Think about what the Bible says about Moses. He chose affliction with God's people rather to enjoy the treasures of growing up in Pharaoh's household. Think about Joseph who was falsely uh, put into prison. Uh, think about Simon Peter. Tradition says that he was crucified upside down. Think about the apostle John who was exiled to the island of Patmos and had to work in the mines there until the day of his death. Over and over and over again all through the Bible we see that, uh, that faith in God and Christian faith in New Testament times cost believers dearly. It cost them dearly in the Old Testament. It cost them dearly in the New Testament. Who are we to think it's not supposed to cost us anything? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He went on to say, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, you and I need to accept our share of suffering for the gospel. Christian faith demands adjustments in our life. What adjustments have you had? Have you had to make any adjustment in your life whatsoever since coming to Christ? Folks, if you've not had to be inconvenienced, you've not had to have any hardship, you've not had to make any adjustments in your life specifically because you name the name of Jesus Christ, then it may be because something is wrong with your faith. What adjustments have you had to make? And notice what he says here to Timothy at the end of verse 8. As we accept our share of the suffering or the hardship, we can have every confidence that God is going to be right there with us. I think of Daniel's three friends when they were in the fiery furnace. The, the king all of a sudden said, hey, wait a minute. Didn't I just throw three fellas in? But I see four and the fourth looks like the son of God. God will be right there with you. Amen? We need to lay all of our excuses down and accept our share of the hardship for the sake of the gospel. Jesus told a story, one of his parables about a man out digging in the field. He was a day laborer. And as he was digging in the field, he came across this treasure. He covered it again. He went and sold everything that he had so he could come and buy that field. He made a sacrifice to sell everything that he had, but he didn't consider it that big of a sacrifice because the Bible says with joy he did that so he could come and possess that field. And Jesus was telling a story there about the value of the kingdom of God. Folks, whatever you and I have to go through for the sake of the kingdom of God is a small price to pay because of the value of what we get in Jesus 
Verse 9 gives our motivation. Why would Timothy want to do this? He says in verse 9, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Folks, the motivation for living for Christ is that the grace of God has saved you. The grace of God has saved you and the grace of God has called you. The grace of God allows you to have the privilege to be in service for Christ. Your Christian life and my Christian life is all a matter of God's grace. It's like what Paul said in Ephesians 2. In that famous passage that we quote, that we're saved by grace, not of works, not of human works, lest any man should boast. And the way that Paul writes that verse, the, the, way, he, the, 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 the way he uses the Greek, it, it, it's clear there because of the, 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 way, the modifying words and the different genders and all that they're in. That what he's setting up in Ephesians 2 is that everything about our salvation, even your faith, is all the gift of God, you can't take credit for any of it. Think about what God is. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're saved, I want you to think about the grace of God in that. Because as Paul said to the Colossians, He's redeemed you out of the kingdom of Satan and transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. He's erased all of your sins. And reconciled you to a holy God. It's all a matter of God's grace. Folks, when you see where you've come from. And you see where you're going. And what God has in store for the believer. That ought to motivate you and I for greater service for the Lord. If the grace of God won't motivate you. I dare say nothing will. So he's saying, Timothy, think about that. Think about what God has done in saving you and calling you. And Timothy, because of that, you need to arise to the occasion. You need to have more courage and not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. You need to join with me. You need to accept your share of suffering for the sake of the gospel, Timothy. It's your turn now. And I think the Lord would say to us, it's our turn now. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that the life of a Christian calls for confidence. Not only courage, but also confidence. Look at verse 12. Paul says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Somebody might say, Paul, but, but what if I live the kind of commitment that you've just admonished Timothy to have? What if I display that kind of courage? What if somebody comes along and puts me in prison? What if God places me on a mission field and time it's said and done? I lose everything that I have. Paul, what then? I think Paul would say, you know what? I'm glad you asked because that's exactly where I find myself. I'm in prison. I'm about to die. But do I think it's been a waste? Would I do things differently? When Ananias came to see me after my Damascus Road experience, do I wish now that I had told Ananias to get lost? No, because I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. 
Paul had great confidence that his life was moving in just the right direction. His life was moving from conversion to ministry to glory. Folks, it's not conversion to loss to greater loss. It's conversion, ministry, glory. The cr- we get the crown, but again, the crown comes after the cross. Is that your confidence? If so, you know what? A few little setbacks in this life don't matter. A few hardships along the way. A few times of encountering opposition. Those things shouldn't stop you and me because we know where our life is headed. Missionary Jim Elliott said he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We could turn that around. We could turn Jim Elliott's words around a little bit. We could say he is a fool who tries to keep what he cannot keep and loses what the Savior offers. This morning, are you a fool for Christ or are you just a fool? Paul had great confidence. He said, I know in whom I have believed. I'm not concerned about the hardship in my life. I'm not concerned about what is about to happen to me. Because I know the outcome. Because I know the Savior. You know, sometimes you and I will be asked today why we can have the confidence that we have at times. And yet, people in the world turn around and believe the craziest things. Have you ever noticed that? I told you a story some years ago, true story. Back in 1997, a man who at one time had been the minister of music right down the road, 40 minutes down 85 in Gastonia, First Presbyterian Church of Gastonia there on Garrison Boulevard right across from the Shield Nature Museum. Back in the 1950s, the minister of music there came to a point in his life he renounced the Christian faith. And started leading a cult. He led a number of people to believe that he and his nurse were the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. He led them to believe that a UFO was coming for them to whisk them away into eternity. All of those people followed the lead of this man in committing suicide. A mass suicide at a mansion in San Diego. What was it? Back about 2001? Remember that in the national news? That mass suicide in that mansion in San Diego? They they did that because he convinced them if they killed themselves, they were going to go and meet this spacecraft that he said was waiting on the other side of a shooting comet. Unbelievable stuff. Comical stuff that people will believe. Like the true story of a coffin salesman in Springfield, Illinois who was trying to sell one of the local funeral directors his company's coffins. He criticized his competitor's coffins. He said, our coffins are lined with real silk but theirs are lined with synthetic silk. silk. Synthetic silk. 
which in the long run may cause skin irritations. Folks, you can't make this stuff up, what some, what some people believe. The ridiculous stuff that some people believe. But Paul didn't believe anything ridiculous. Paul believed in Jesus Christ crucified for his sins, the death, burial, resurrection, and one day the soon coming return of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul believed. That was his conviction. That was his confidence. And he goes on in verse 12 to talk about the deposit that he's made. The word that he uses was the word back then for a deposit, a treasure or a deposit that you would leave with somebody that you completely trusted. You see, while there were banks in ancient times, there weren't banks like we have today on every corner. You know, go down to a Wells Fargo or a Bank of America. It wasn't like that. And so back then in ancient times, if you had treasure, what did you typically do with it? You would store it in some temple somewhere or you would hide it in the ground that helps us to understand that parable a little bit more of that guy digging and founding the treasure in the ground because that's what you did with treasures back then but guess what temples can be raided and the loot can be stolen uh, somebody can come along and find treasure in a ground and take it but Paul saying any deposit you make with Jesus Christ is going to be safekeeping He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Christ is not going to lose me and he's not going to lose you. Amen? I know in whom I have believed. Isn't that great? He says, I'm not ashamed. Timothy, you don't need to be ashamed. Either. Join with me. I'm not ashamed. I'm convinced. I'm confident. I know that my life is secure in the master's arms. Do you have that kind of confidence this morning? Truth has been made so relative in our culture today. It said what's true for one may not be true for another. This crazy stuff we're supposed to believe. People, people embrace even contradictory truths. But Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. No doubt about it. I think about that man born blind in John 9. Remember that story, that man born blind? He was confronted by the religious leaders and they said to him, We know that God spoke to us through Moses, but as for this man, speaking of Jesus, we don't know where he's come from. The man answered, Why, that's an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anybody has opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then they answered to him, You were born in utter sin and would you teach us? and they cast him out of the temple Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him he said do you believe in the son of man he answered and who is he sir that I may believe in him Jesus said to him you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you now he said Lord then I believe and he worshipped him Confidence and faith in the person of Christ. Folks, that's what we need today. 
Paul didn't have confidence in what he could do. You and I can do nothing. Jesus said in John 15, he's the vine, we're just the branches. We can't do, we're nothing and can do nothing apart from him. Paul said, I'm confident of what he can do. Not what I can do, not what you can do, not even what we can do collectively. It's him working in and through us, I know what he can do. It's amazing what God can do. Hebrews 7.25 says he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Remember that story in Luke 1? The angel comes to Mary and says you're going to give birth to the Son of God, to the Messiah. And she says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the angel told her, he said, Mary, with God all things are possible. He's able. He's able. Is that the confidence you have this morning? You know what else he's able to do? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's able to redeem you and make you a new creation in Christ. Folks, that's the greatest miracle of all. He's able. He's able. Paul says, I know that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him to that day. What was Paul entrusting to God? He was entrusting his soul. Remember how Jesus said, what will a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Paul said, I've entrusted my very soul to Jesus Christ. I know he's not going to lose me. And scholars say what Paul is meaning here too, that he's also entrusted not only his soul, but all of his life's work. Everything he's ever done for the Lord, the Lord knows all about it. The Bible talks about God keeping books, the book of life, where our names are written in the book of life when we're born again. And then Malachi speaks of books of remembrance, where God writes down everything you've ever done. God knew everything about the Apostle Paul. Scholars wonder, did he ever make it to Spain? Did he ever make that fourth missionary? journey. Clement of Rome writing in the first century says he did we don't know anything about it but guess what God knows and God knows everything about your life and he's able he's able to keep what you have entrusted to him until that day Folks, we can have confidence in the security that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? I believe in the perseverance of the saints because I believe in the perseverance of the Savior. He keeps us. He keeps us. And that was Paul's confidence. That he was kept until that day. And so there was no fear in Paul. Whatever happened to him, whatever was about to happen to him as he was in that prison didn't matter so much. He said, Timothy, join with me. Share with me in the kind of life I've lived for the sake of the gospel because I know where I'm going. I know he's able to keep me and he'll reward me. Folks, have you entrusted everything about your life to Jesus Christ do you have that same confidence if you do guess what it doesn't matter it's some of the temporary bumps in the road you and I go through here doesn't matter 
Because we know the last chapter. Amen. I want to ask you this morning. What are you suffering for the sake of the gospel? Anything? Have there been any adjustments in your life? Any inconveniences? Folks, I know you're rattling your pages and putting away your stuff. That's, that's fine. But I want you to hear me. Any adjustments that you've made for the sake of the gospel? Anything? Oh, I know some of you have. But maybe some here haven't. You identify with Christ. You identify with the work of the Lord. You identify with everything about the church ministry. But you know what? There's no skin in the game. God's calling on us to put some skin in the game. To accept our share of hardship for the sake of the gospel. Do you need to do that this morning? Sort of draw a line in the sand, step over that and say, Lord, I'm going to live. I'm not just going to identify with you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to have skin in the game. I'm, I'm going to accept my share. Do you have confidence that whatever you're going through, he's, he's keeping you until that day? Some of you may not have that confidence because you've never been born again. When I give the invitation this morning in a moment, you need to come forward. You need Christ in your life. So you can have that confidence. Maybe it's time for others to join a local church fellowship. To join lock arms hand in hand with other believers. So together we can accept our share of the suffering and serve Christ and advance His kingdom's work. What adjustments are you making? Will you accept your share? Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the challenge that the Apostle Paul is giving to his young protege. How he's mentoring him and teaching him and discipling him and telling Timothy what he needs to do and, and, and that he needs to rise to the occasion. And God, I pray that we would hear these words, that they would make an impact on our lives. Lord, you tell us in 1 Corinthians 10 that whatever is written is written for our benefit. Lord, these words right here are not meant just to stay back in the first century between Paul and Timothy. These words are meant to have an impact on us today in 2016. Help us not to be ashamed. May we stand for Christ. May we stand for the gospel. Because it's the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. And Lord, help us to understand the world is never going to wholeheartedly accept us. If we're after the praise of men, we are after the wrong thing. Help us to live for your praise. For your glory.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.